0: Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. There's a wonderful author and host of a TV program called Stephen Arterburn, and he is the founder of New Life Counseling Ministry, speaks to two million Americans every week on television. He was invited by a university called Baylor University to speak to 2,000 students. He had been a student himself of this university some years before, and now he was invited to do chapel service as a guest speaker. The person running the chapel service said to him before he was about to go up, he said, the students are often talkative and noisy. They don't pay attention, but don't take it personally. So he was anxious. He was nervous. And As he went up to the platform to speak, he said he felt you know, a sense of trepidation. And he began to speak to them, and he said this, He said, I came here 20 years ago to get an education, but in my first year, what I got was a girl pregnant. If the baby had been born, he or she would have been one of your classmates. He said, at that point, there wasn't a sound. I think it was the last thing they were expecting to hear. He went on and said this. He said, guilt haunted me, and it seeped into every fiber of who I am, resulting in 80. Internal ulcers. The reason for that is he had got his girlfriend to have an abortion. He said, I could not forgive myself nor accept that God had forgiven me. And he goes on to say that for two years he, he really struggled with his health and battled to get through this. But as he continued, he said to the students, years later, my wife Sandy and I discovered that we were an infertile couple. Guilt pangs returned, and some people questioned whether this was God's punishment and my belief in God's provision just slipped away. He says, God didn't need to punish me, I did that to myself. Then in June, then in July 1990, a young unmarried couple discovered that she was pregnant. With greater courage than I had possessed, they chose life and looked for a Christian couple to rear their child. They chose Sandy and me. On Christmas Eve, we received a call to meet our baby. My heart soared at the realization that I would finally be a dad. It was the beginning of a new journey, but it was also the completion of an old one. When they placed Madeline into my arms, I wasn't just receiving a baby, God was giving back to me, proving that he is the God of the second chance. I wonder how many people listening to me this morning in this room wish that they could only have a second chance. If only I had a second chance, I could do it differently. I think many of us feel that from time to time. And God is the God of the second chance. Maybe today you feel, you know, gee, if only I hadn't married so young, or if only I hadn't chosen that person. If only I had a second chance, I could show that I'm actually could make a success of my life. If only I hadn't walked out of that job, left school early. If only I hadn't let that person get to me. If only I hadn't said that. If only I hadn't slept with so-and-so and, and, ah. But now you're sitting with a decision and a mistake and you feel it's over. I wanna tell you this morning that God wants to give you a second chance. He wants, he's the God of the second chance. And there's so many things that feel final, but you know, the game of life is not something you only play once, and then you, if you lose, you lose. Every day you wake up, His mercy is on you every morning. You can start again. And I want to speak to you this morning on the God of the second chance, the God of the second chance, because you might think that God is the God of the second chance only in the New Testament, where He sent Jesus to die for our sins. And he gave us a second chance. Even though we failed and sinned, he now sent his son as the Savior. But if you go into the Old Testament, you see the character of God has always been one of the second chance. When people sinned, he provided the lambs as the blood sacrifice to cover their sin, giving them a second chance to repent, to have their sin covered, and to walk again with God. When the people of Israel ended up in Babylonian captivity, they thought it was over for them. They thought that was it. God has sent us into banishment and it's over for Israel. But 70 years later, he called them back out and he gave them a second chance. The cities of refuge in the Old Testament are a picture of of cities, seven cities, where if you committed murder accidentally, you could run there and you could have a second chance. You You weren't killed by mob justice. Isn't that good? That God is the God of the second chance? I believe that many people in this room, if you're part of the human race, you need a second chance. And there are many instances in the Bible, if you think of Abraham, Abraham lied. God called him, chose him, but then he lied. He called his wife his sister. He went on to Egypt and looked for help there. But God gave him a second chance. Moses was a murderer, but God gave him a second chance and used him as one of the most mighty leaders known to us. Samson messed up with women, like many men do, but God gave him a second chance. And he pushed down the pillars of the temple. And John Mark turned back and abandoned the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul gave him a second chance. And he became extremely useful, the Bible says, in the ministry of the New Testament. David sinned with Bathsheba. God gave him another chance. Jonah Jonah ran away from God, but God gave him another chance and used him. And then the woman at the well. Gosh, talk about chances. She was married and divorced five times. And then living with a sixth man. But what does God do? He gives her a second chance, and he turns her life into a significant life. She ends up becoming an evangelist to an entire Samarian city. God is the God of the second chance. And you know what? There's a term that they use in sport. It's called a mulligan. We we don't give people mulligans, but God gives us mulligans. And you know, the definition of a mulligan is interesting. It's a second chance to perform an action usually after the first chance went wrong, through bad luck or a blunder. How many of you know most of us, it's not bad luck, it's blunders. But we generally blame bad luck, don't we? Or there's another person called Satan that we bring into it. But I love this, this other definition, and uh, it's best known in golf. It says, it's in golf, whereby a player is informally allowed to replay a stroke, even though this is against the formal rules of golf you're actually not allowed to do it but if someone says you can you get another chance or did you know God gives us maligans he gives us more maligans than people do people are sometimes harder than God but God gives us another chance to play the stroke again and to have another go and to have a second chance think of the apostle Peter who's called by God he's not just one of the 12 he's the leader of the 12 he's the senior pastor of the 12 apostles And when it comes to Jesus' arrest, there he sits and he swears he doesn't know the man. Listen, if I I was Jesus, after the resurrection, I'd be like, i got something on my mind. Give me a response card. Let me get it off my chest. Because you can expect it from the other oaks, but not from the leader. I know there's, you know, all the oaks. And Judas, I mean, what can I say about him, but you... But what does Jesus do? He gives him a second chance. And he doesn't just say, okay, okay, I'll get over it. It's actually complete restoration. Now why did Peter, after failing at a level like that, which is always harder by the way, you know it's easy when you're down here in life and you fail, you're like, well I'm down here and I mess up anyway. But when you're a manager, leader, prominent person, respected, pastor, it's very hard to deal with your failures because so much more is expected of you. Isn't that true? But Jesus goes to him, doesn't just let him off. Jesus gives him a second chance to be used. Why? Because here's the thing, George, listen to me today. When you fail or make a mistake, the reason God gives you a second chance is because he's got a purpose for your life. So let me give you four things this morning that'll help you. And we'll spend a bit of time on number one, but we'll look at four things. Number one, remember this this morning, our failures don't disqualify us from God's call and purposes. God's called you to be a saint, to be part of his church, to be salt and light, to be used by him. You say, but I've messed up so many times. Well, he gives you a second chance because that shows greater glory through your life when he shines through. And Peter had abandoned Jesus, if you like. He had denied the Lord three times. And Jesus doesn't just leave him and sort of, he doesn't rise from the dead and and say to himself, well, if Peter wants to see me, he knows where I am he seeks him out. But before seeking Peter out and restoring to restoring to him his calling, he sends a message. When the women come to the tomb and they they are looking for Jesus, the angel says, "He's not here." But notice what the angel says in Mark chapter 16. "But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you." In other words, Jesus didn't rise from the dead and say, I've got I to get a matter off my chest. I know where Peter is. I know all things. Peter? No, he sends a special message to someone who knows he messed up specially. If you've made a royal failure of your life today, God's saying, I know about it, but I'm giving you a second chance. I'm, I'm coming to get you. Because you know what Peter did? Peter went back to fishing, the Bible says. He went back to fishing, and you know what he did? He took the others with him. Whenever you mess up, you know what you do? You end up staying away from church, and then you take others with you. I find when people are disappointed in themselves or disappointed in the church or whatever, they don't leave rivers alone. They take a whole group with them. Yeah, we all feel this way. No, 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 be careful. No, no, be careful. Because when you end up away from God through your mistakes, you never end up in a better place. You always end up in a place that's unfruitful and dark. Jesus comes to them on the beach in John 21, where they've gone back to fishing, they've gone backwards, and he says, have you caught anything? And they say this, nothing. Because you can't be fruitful and prosper away from God. So it's no point running away when you made mistakes, you might as well stay and deal with it, let him deal with you. And Jesus goes and finds him on the beach He tells them to throw their nets on the other side. They catch 153 fish. And then Jesus, when they come out of the water, he has breakfast with them. And I want you to see what he says to Peter here. Because it's important for us to see that God doesn't exaggerate our failures like sometimes our own hearts do. John chapter 21, are you with me? It says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. He, he didn't say, do you love me? Peter says, yes. He says, why did you do it? Isn't that what we would do? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Why do you do is eh? Isn't that what we do in the kitchen with our husbands? With our wives? You don't love me. No, I do you love you. Why do you do it? <laughs> Sorry, darling. Sorry, babe. Then 10 minutes later, but why did you do it? eh?" (laughs) And you know, in English, the word love, L-O-V-E, is always love. But in Greek, there are four words. And it's good to remember because one of them is eros, which means sexual erotic love. That's only one aspect of love. When you feel the desire sexually for someone, it's only one aspect. There are three other important aspects that the Bible talks about that people seem to ignore. They say love is love. No, it's not. Love is love. Okay, so sexual desire and attraction is only one small dimension. The others, one's called storge, one's called ophelia, and one's called agape. Agape is unconditional love. Storge is the love for relatives that you have in a family. And philia is friendship. And Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? In other words, do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me as a friend? Do you love me as a family member? Because we're brothers. Then he says, if you do, Even though you've messed up, go and feed my sheep, feed my lambs. I've got a calling on your life. Don't let mistakes keep you away from God. And he's saying that to everyone in the room today. You're called, and your mistakes don't constitute a a removing of that call. Just come, let him come back to you. Let him eat with you. That's why communion is important because you can come back again. You can restore that intimacy, and you can go with God. And I'll tell you what. Jesus loves us this morning and wants to restore us. He's seeking us out. And uh, he's wanting us to be restored. And he asked Peter three times and gave Peter reaffirmation three times of his calling because Peter denied him three times. And you've got to be careful that you don't get into such a deep hole that you can't come out of it and respond. The prophet Elijah, when he failed and, uh, and, and, and got into depression, he, he ran away from Queen Jezebel, ended up under a tree, and he wanted to die. And, and, and God didn't say to him, well, if you've messed up your ministry and you want to die, well, die. No, he not only restores him by feeding him, he actually recommissions him. And I believe the people in the room today, God's not just saying, Hey, I'm giving you a second chance. He's saying, I'm giving you a second chance and I'm recommissioning you. Because I've got something for you to do. You're not just meant to sit in church happy. You're meant to sit in church happy and then to go out and change the world. So yeah, look what what, what the Lord said to Elijah in one king. Sorry, Elijah. What the Lord said to Elijah, one king's 19. The Lord said to him, go back, you see, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu of of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Many preachers have preached. You see, the minute he messed up and the minute he got discouraged, God replaced him. No, he didn't. Elisha worked with him for 13 years. 13 years is a long time. It's a second chance to fix up, recover from depression, and make sure you don't pass that depression on to your successor. And guess what? Elisha was no depressed man. He did twice the miracles that Elijah did. So clearly Elijah fixed his life when he had a second chance and imparted something good. Are you with me? Because otherwise we can get into such discouragement and and we can let that discouragement bury us. Man, failure after failure. We look at our country, look at what's going on in your own life. You oh huh. I, I was reading about this mole that came out of the ground, and as it came out of the ground, it, it looked up and it saw a bird, and this bird was chirping and singing. And the mole frowned and looked up at the bird, and he said to the bird, What are you making such a noise about? And the bird said, Oh, the sunshine, the trees, the grasses the shining stream and the white clouds and the mountainside. The world is full of beauty. Tweet, 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 (laughs) tweet. And the mole said this, nonsense. I've lived in the world longer than you have because moles live longer. And I've gone deeper into it. I've traversed it and tunneled it. And I know what I'm talking about. And I tell you, there's nothing in it but worms. (laughs) You've got to be careful. You don't end up with just worms because you've gone back to a dark and unfruitful place. See, the point is this, church, is that when we fail at something, it doesn't remove or nullify or disqualify us from God's call and God's plans. Number two this morning, if you've made a mistake, God wants to give you a second chance, but this is what you need to understand. Grace needs to be received and adjustments made. See, you make a mistake, you need to make an adjustment because maybe you'll make it again. Obviously, the bigger the mistake, the bigger the adjustment. Pastor John Ortberg, who is a pastor in California, written a number of very good books, he said this of the Lord, he said, redeeming is what God is into. He is the finder of directionally challenged sheep. How politically correct is that? He says, the searcher of missing coins the embracer of foolish prodigal children, his favorite department is lost and found. If there is one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it is perhaps in his love, loving longing to forgive. God wants to forgive you this morning, but sometimes we struggle to receive it. Do you know why we struggle to receive it? It's because we don't give it to other people. What you don't give is what you won't get. We are sometimes harder on people than God. In fact, Christians can be Pharisees, but they would never admit to it, even here. Come on. And I want to remind you of a famous passage of Scripture. Most of us know this extremely well if we've been Christians for any length of time. It's from John chapter 8. And the Bible tells us here, and I want to read it to you, because this is what we often like. That's why we don't receive grace easily. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees Brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Oh, isn't that what we do today? As soon as we catch someone doing anything, we bring them before the group on Facebook, on Twitter, or on Instagram. And we demand justice because we got you. Wait till you need that mercy. You won't want to be on someone's group. And I'll tell you, if you're human, you're going to need it sometime. Maybe you're on such, a, such an arrogant role now that you think you don't need grace. Let me tell you, everybody needs grace at some time or another. Even Peter did. <laughs> so be careful before you drag others into a public arena and humiliate them. Can you see? Nothing's changed. Just the way we do things. Hmm? And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In other words, can't you smell her? Check her, she's still sweating. This, this is not someone in church dressed like in, in a suit. Hey, I, I, think, I think he's sleeping with so-and-so. Oh, really? No, no, this, this is matted hair, wet. This is creased clothes from lying on them. There's a smell in the air. So you need to expound the scriptures. <laughs> and it says, Teacher, this woman was caught an act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You know what I've discovered? Some people don't want a matter cleared up. They're trying to corner you. Listen, I've been in the ministry 38 years. Do you know how many people have tried to corner me? Using the law. Can I tell you the law has got nothing to do with the spirit of God. Sometimes it's opposite. And sometimes the law is contradictory to the church. Today, in fact, if you're not careful, Christians will try and use the law on you to tell you what you should or shouldn't say from this platform. Because what their law is, is not God's law. And they try and trap you. They're not looking for an answer. They're not looking for, they're actually trying to, they're trying to make it, because it's the spirit of the world. If you've got the attitude, you need to be converted. He re- didn't relinquish that. Anyway, let me carry on here. It says, but Jesus bent down on the ground and started to write with his finger. You know they were all standing around and he was writing the names. You know, you know there, there was Sepp- Sepple standing looking all ready to press the button on send. And Jesus wrote, Sepple and Susan. Sepple realized he was busted and and the others still stood there arrogantly. And then Jesus glanced around to see who would be next and he said, "Uh, uh, uh, Bob, Bob and Jane. Bob was on his way because there is no one without sin. But we're so quick in our good moments to call others out. I want to encourage you, don't get caught up with the spirit of the world. The Bible goes on to say here, Jesus looked up at them and said, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped on the ground and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, because they had more sins, until, that's <laughs> no, true, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked a woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life can you see what he did he gave grace but he asked for adjustments and you'll notice the older left first be careful when you're young that you don't think you're so right that you're so right that you're so right because you're going to get older you're going to get older and you're going to make mistakes and if you if you think that anyone is perfect you're living in a you're living in a delusion. And if you think the senior pastor ought to be perfect, it'd be, but if you prayed and asked Jesus to be the senior pastor here. <laughs> Are you with me? Because yeah. we can be so angry and defensive at times. And sometimes it's, it's got, it, there's no real issue, but we make it an issue. And Jesus here gives her grace. He gives her freedom. The, the, Jesus not got an accusing spirit. You see, some people, what they want to do is, is there's a spirit that nails more than nurtures. Yeah. Check yourself. Do you want a nail, or do you actually want to nurture? And Jesus here releases her, gives her grace, and tells her to change. Because we can get so, we can become so angry, we, we set limits on everything, and we're driven by politics, we're driven by all sorts of stuff, and it doesn't help us as family people and as Christians. You see, we can be so religious like the Amish. Have you heard of the Amish or the Amish? they they, the, the, the people who don't believe in technology and so on. They're very, very principled but they can be quite religious, and I was reading about this young Amish couple, they were just coming back from honeymoon, and all happy and everything, and as they were riding along in the cart, along the road, the horse suddenly stopped, and it reared, (laughs) up in the air, and the whole cart nearly fell over backwards, and then the horse settled down, and he gave the horse a lash, and he pulled the reins, and the horse carried on running, and he said, horse, I'd let thee know, number one, and they carried on down the road and they got to a bend in the road. Suddenly the horse started charging, running fast for no reason. And the cart nearly careened off the road and they nearly fell out and pulled on the reins and the cart calmed down. And he, he looked across at the horse and he said, horse, I'd let thee know, number two. Then they got to their house, they're just about to pull into the driveway and the horse stops dead and it won't move. And he hits the horse and he pulls the reins and hits the horse and he pulls the reins and he's getting really annoyed Finally, the horse starts trotting slowly into the driveway. Well, he, as the horse stopped in the driveway, he said, horse, I'd let thee know it's number three, and he got out the back, he took his rifle, and he shot the horse in the head. There the horse fell down. His wife came and said, husband, husband, dear husband, husband, dear husband, why hast thou shot the horse? He turned around and looked at her, and he said, dear wife, that's number one. Now you're all laughing. But how many of us haven't set a number? For some of you, it's just one, and that's it. Can I just say this to you? If you're new at Rivers Church, if we haven't hurt you yet, just give us time. Because sooner or later there are human beings in this room. And the Spirit of Christ doesn't nail, it seeks to nurture. And God is the God of grace and adjustments. Are you with me? And here Jesus gives it another chance and we need to be the same. Number three, you receiving something this morning? Now this is important. I said it earlier. What we don't give, we won't receive. What we don't give, we won't receive. How many of you have heard that at offering time? If you don't give church, you won't receive. We understand the law of sowing and reaping. And there's a verse in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, that says, Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. See, how many people don't know that? But we don't know the preceding verses, which are more relational than financial. Notice what it says. It says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Then it says, Give. It doesn't say give money, it just says give because the principle is true. What you give, you get back in abundance. What you don't, you don't get. And if you keep condemning, guess what you're gonna get back on yourself. When you need it most, you're not gonna get the second chance. That's why we need to be people who understand the God of the second chance and give the second chance because that's when grace comes to us. Are you with me this morning? People say, oh, that's the law of attraction. No, it's not, that's rubbish. There's no such thing as the law of attraction. If you think positive thoughts, positive things come to you. If only life were that simple. No, life sucks. And you can be the kindest person and trouble cometh. That's why good th- bad things happen to good people. So don't get caught up with these silly philosophies that only work for a little period of time. The reality is what you sow is what you reap. And if you don't give a second chance, you won't get one. We can cause so much damage when we don't give second chances. And sooner or later in your life, you're gonna need it. I was reading about Amanda Todd. She was a Canadian teenager who really became the spokesperson for despair at the age of 15. She went online and, you know, in these chat rooms, as young people do, and you need to be careful of it. She met a guy, he presented himself as a young person, but he was 38 years old. His name was Aidan Coben, and he encouraged her, she was just 13 at the time, to take her top off and pose nude. He took a screenshot of it, and then he asked for more. He wanted it to be naked. He wanted to connect with her, and he threatened to put the picture on the internet. And um, anyway, he went and posted the picture anyway. Well, she descended into hell because the outbreak from social media, her parents, her friends at school, she ended up in an absolute nightmare. And they say humiliation rained down on her like a storm. She was, she was absolutely battered, and she was already a fragile and private person. Now she started locking herself away in the room, she started taking drugs, she started drinking. She then attempted suicide by drinking bleach, but she managed to survive. She then, her parents moved from school to school, but the internet stores things, so she was, you know, that, all that stuff they found out at the new school, and girl pushed her into a ditch when she found out outside the school. And on and on it went, and then she, in, a, in an act of desperation, this young, tender child is just beginning to discover life. She posted a nine-minute video on YouTube, and she used flashcards to try and express herself and, and to share the months of horror and shame that she experienced at the hands of people that had been brought on her family and also the pain she had brought on herself. And, uh, and uh, 13 million people watched that video. Anyway, a month after she did that video, she went into a room and hung herself. And parents had to find this little young girl hanged there. Max Lucado, the author who wrote on the topic, he said this, if hope were a rain cloud, Amanda Todd lived in the Sahara Desert. She searched the skies for a reason to live and found none. you got to be careful what you meet out to people. You have no idea the impact it can have on them. Let's, what we give is what we receive. Because sooner or later you're going to need it. Excuse me, I forgot you were perfect. Because some people sit in perfection. How many of you saw the KFC wedding? Where a guy knelt down in KFC and he proposed to his girlfriend. Well, some person went online and began to talk about this person. Oh, men in South Africa are cheapskates. And giving their opinion of what is what they think is right and wrong. Well, I love what people did. They reacted to that and tore into that person. And people have poured out money and blessing on that couple, which they should have done. The man still believes in marriage. Still got the decency to get out on a knee. Come on. When did every person with a phone become a reporter? And when did every person with a phone suddenly become right about everything in life? Be careful that you're not so right, because one day you're going to be wrong, and then you're going to be trying to prove yourself right. Because what you sow is what you reap. And when someone has, if you think someone, by the way, if you think someone's harmed you, the Bible teaches this. If your brother sins against you, go to him. Don't go to social media. Don't look for friends to agree with you. Go to him. If your brother repents, forgive him because you're trying to nail or you're trying to nurture. Hmm? But you see, the spirit of the world is one. Let's call him out. Let's call out. Oh, God help you when they call you out. Because you know what, your opinion about people can change. You'd be amazed how you can have prejudice and then suddenly you can change. You meet a person and your prejudice changes. I have to admit that there are times I, I go through the channels and I get to the Kardashians. I'm like, mm, who are these people? Besides long hair and hips, what is their here? <laughs> but wait, wait, she's married Kanye West. And Kanye is now really a serious influence in the kingdom. And Kanye contacted a friend of ours who knows us very well and said, hey, I want to go to South Africa. Do you think, you know, maybe I could go to Rivers Church? I knew that would get you clapping if you were a little bit mellow this morning. Now, don't quote me saying he's coming here, but imagine if they come here. Now Kim comes down this passage here or through that door. I'm not going to be like, sorry, Kim. It's just long earned and hips. No, they he'd be like, Kim, Kim, Kim. You see, your prejudice changes. Listen to me. Your prejudice changes when you get to know someone. When you don't know someone, everything about them, we're so judgmental. When you get to know someone, everything suddenly changes. And if you're not going to give grace, you're not going to get it. And believe me, if you're a young person now, you're going to need it, baby. I've been around a long time, I can tell you that. Because every human being has got issues. Not just certain groups of people. Everybody's got issues right across the world. And we should stop following what the law prescribes because the law's opinion, by the way, if your brother sins against you, can you show me in the Bible where this says I shouldn't say that or you should, or I actually did something? If you can't prove it, drop it. Because if you want grace, you're not gonna receive it. Number four, let me come to a close. can see you're really being helped today. Number four, when God gives you a second chance, take it. And God gives second chances. He does that. I love it when God gives people second chances at life, at marriage. Hmm? You could be a better husband, better wife, better student, better boss, better Christian. Hmm? And, and can I say this? Say this carefully. If you've lost a spouse, and there are a number of people in the room who lost spouses, God will give you a second chance. You say, never, there's only one for me. No, no, never say never, because there's no such thing as never. Because God is the God of satisfaction and second chances. He blessed Job after he lost everything with a second chance of life. Another wife and another lot of children. Don't be shut off from it, because God's the God of the second chance. Hmm? I love what this lady said, her name is uh, Maury Force. she's an author of a book called Meant for Love. She says this, we honor the people we lost by loving again. See, second chances always work. They're always good. But what about a second chance to live better? Maybe you've messed up your health, a second chance at health. Hezekiah, in the book of 2 Kings, the prophet Isaiah was sent to him and he was on his deathbed and the Lord said to Isaiah, go and tell him he's gonna die. It's like what? Yeah, so he went to Hezekiah, you're gonna die. Oh gosh, he turns, he looks at the wall, he prays. Before his eyes, even out the palace at the, the bottom gate, the Lord says to him, go back and tell him. So he goes back upstairs, and says, sorry, God changed his mind. He's gonna add 15 years to your life. Second chance. God didn't give him six months or nine months, say, get your will in order and go hug your kids. No, 15 years. God's the God of the second chance. Whether it be in health or in marriage, he wants you to start again because no matter how battered you are, when God puts his hand on you, calling comes back. Grace comes, adjustments are made, and you can start again. That's the nature of the Christian life. There's a wonderful poem way back from the 18, sorry, from 1921, and it's the story of the auctioneer who picked up a violin and was about to auction it, and I'll read it to you. It says, it was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar then two, only two? Two dollars, who'll make it three? From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and he picked up the bow. Now we don't have a gray-haired person here today, but we do have a young person. A pretty young person. And this pretty young person is taking the bow and taking the violin. And it says, then wiping the old violin, the dust off the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. Well, then it goes on to say, the music ceased. And the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, who'll make it two? Two thousand, who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and going and gone, he said. The crowd, the people cheered, sorry, the people cheered, but some of them cried, we do not quite understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And the poem goes on to say, and many a man with a life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin, he's auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin, a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once and going twice, and he's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.